Welcome to episode 4 of Crystalcast, where we go behind the headlines and we take a more in-depth look at the specialist finance industry. Today we're joined by Mark Posniak from Octane Capital, telling us a little bit more about what exactly third gen means and his views on the market and the opportunities that brokers should be focusing on. And as always, all the information provided is for the use of financial intermediaries only. Today we're joined by Mark Posniak, Managing Director of Octane Capital. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, excellent, thank you. Um, to start us off in our traditional way, can you give us three surprising things about you? Okay, three surprising things about me. Uh, I've lived in three three separate countries. So I brought, uh, brought, brought up in South Africa, moved to Australia when I was 18. Wow. And I came here when I was 25. Uh, that's the first thing. So I've lived in three separate countries. Second surprising thing, when I came here, I intended to stay for maybe six months, maybe 12. Uh, met my wife while I was here playing cricket uh, as, as an overseas professional. And that was 19 years ago. So I haven't gone back since. Uh, the third surprising thing that people probably don't know about me, or they might because uh, you do post quite a bit, but I've got a lovely wife and two beautiful children, a little boy who is nine and a little girl who is five. Brilliant. Thank you. So you overseas professional at cricket? Yeah. So quite sporty then. Uh, well, listen, anything with a ball I, 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 I'm all right at. I wouldn't say football. Football's definitely the lowest on the thing. <laughs> but cricket and golf are my two real sports. I don't play cricket anymore, but I now play golf instead, which is much more fun. And that's actually much better from a work perspective because yeah. a, a lot of deals get done on a golf course. Very much so. And we're very much looking forward to joining you at the Octane Cup in a few weeks as well. Yeah, no, we're very much looking forward to that. Brilliant. Right, so moving on to the serious topics, can you tell us a little bit more about third gen? Sure. Um, so when we when we launched Octane, uh, what we did is obviously we came from uh, our background where we started Dragonfly and we built this beast of a lender. So when we started Dragonfly, we were in the height of the crunch. Um, nobody else was lending, and we tried to do something different then. Um, and when I say we tried to do something different then, it was different to what we define as the first generation of bridging. And the first generation of bridging was the old Lancashire mortgages, Blamain, Affirmative Finance, Chevelle, Link Lending days, yep. where it was a little bit lender of last resort, a little bit back of a fag packet, but very entrepreneurial. Um, and basically, it was all about loan to value, uh, and away you went. When we launched Dragonfly, what we did was we tried to professionalize it a little bit more, and it became a lot more formulaic. So we had a number of set defined parameters and products, um, which we define now as what we define as the second generation of bridging. So very professional, very transparent, but very easy to replicate. So when we, when we, you know, and, and we saw it actually from all the competitors who basically said, oh, that's a nice little product matrix and we'll take that and we'll shave a little bit off the price here and we'll shave a little bit off the price there right. and we might increase, uh, tweak the loan to value here and tweak the loan to value there and all of a sudden it's very easy to replicate, very easy to copy. So when we decided to leave Dragonfly and start again in an incredibly saturated market, what we've what we thought was, you know what, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to launch with no products at all, with a bespoke approach to underwriting, with a completely blank canvas, and, and call this the third generation of bridging, which brings together the best bits from the first generation, which was the highly entrepreneurial flair 
and the ability to structure transactions that work, mm-hmm. coupled with the professionalism and the transparency of the second generation, into this completely bespoke blank canvas, the world is your oyster, putting the broker and the client in control in the third generation of bridging. Much harder to replicate. You have to have the skill set and the expertise and the team to be able to do it, which thank goodness within Octane Capital we do. Um, and who would have thought that, you know, sitting here 24 months on since when we launched, that we would have lent 400 odd million pounds, wow. have a loan book of around 200 million pounds, have a team of 22. Uh, it's been an incredible journey uh, and one that I'm so thankful that we made. So that, that's quite interesting, then, because you mentioned the, the market is relatively, or very saturated, um, and Octane are a relatively new entrant into that. Um, do you think it's the team that you've got there that's been the key to this? Success? 100%. 100%. Yeah. We, we, although, obviously, Jonathan, Matt, and myself have been together a long time, what makes Octane tick is the engine room behind the three of us. It's the credit room. It's the, the fact we've got, we went and hand-picked what we believe is the top credit professionals and the top sales professionals across the industry to try and make sure that we're able to deliver on that third-gen promise, which is having no product, being able to structure every transaction and trying to pay out each deal. When you look at the, the team, so we went and took Gemma Salusti, who was the underwriting manager at Masthaven, Jamie Oxley, who was the underwriting manager at Wellesley Finance. We've got Dan Tyson, who's at Shawbrook, Nikki Pack, who was at Alternative Bridging, and before that, Fortwell. We've got Graham McCauley, who, when Matt left Octopus, became the head of credit at Octopus. You know, we went and handpicked fantastic people who had service built into them in their core. But coupled with that, had huge experience. So if you look not you know, outside of Jonathan, Matt, and myself from a credit perspective, you know, b- between the three of us, we had done more than 4,000 transactions and more, more than $2.5 together before. Um, you then look at Gemma's experience, Dan's experience, Jamie's experience, um, Donna Louise Howes, who joined us from Lend Invest and before that um, Falcon as well, and Shawbrook. We've got a, just a wealth of people who've seen it all before, done it all before, have the scars, and are able to navigate through the obstacles that appear in specialist finance. And there are always obstacles yeah. when you're looking to complete loans. And it's the ability to say, there's a problem, how do we get through it? Or there's a, there's a problem, what's the solution? As opposed to, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so, so from a credit perspective, I genuinely believe, and I'm sure everybody says the same thing, that they've got great people, but I genuinely believe, and it's not an arrogance thing, that we have the strongest team in the industry, bar none, um, with the experience to pay deals out. And that also is replicated on the front end when we look at our origination team. So we've got a team of six external BDMs supported by three internal BDMs in the office. Again, these guys have done it all before. They know how to structure a transaction as opposed to deliver a piece of paper saying, here's my products. Um, Because anybody can deliver a piece of paper and saying, send as much stuff into the office and clog the engine room up. Our guys say... Let's discuss the deal. How do we make it work? If it doesn't quite fit criteria or appetite, how do we how do we shape it and mould it so that it does? How did brokers react when you launched with no products? So initially they were taken back. They were they were I'm not sure how this is going to work. How do we know whether you like it or you're not? And it, it was an education piece. So we went out and saw them, and we got in our cars, and we got in the tube, and we went and banged down the doors. And thank goodness, because of the the history and the reputation that we had, the doors were opened, and people tried us and realized that you know what, this is wonderful. 
wonderful in what in a couple of aspects number one we put the brokers in control so the way we price a deal is we say to the introducer what are you looking to earn out of the transaction and what is the broker what are the client looking to pay and within those parameters we try and make the deal work and if a broker for example if it's a packager and they have a broker to pay and we've got to pay more of the fee away we can structure the deal to work that way for them if it's a direct relationship and a broker says, you know what, this is all about bottom line price to my client. I need to reduce the interest rate. They can give up some of that fee and we can drop the interest rate. And having that flexibility in those levers to be able to, to, to strike a deal that works for all three parties. And by all three parties, I mean the borrower first and foremost, the broker and the lender. It's a wonderful way to, to work. Your products obviously span bridging, they span um, short-term and medium-term as well. So do, you, do you still consider yourself as a bridging lender? We're a specialist lender. Um, you know, yes, we do bridging, but we do developer exits, we do non-standard buy-to-lets, we do refurbishments, we do commercial short-term funding. Uh, you can pigeonhole us as a bridger or you can pigeonhole us as a specialist lender, but we're a solution provider. So we, are, we help brokers and packages and networks and anybody else for that matter navigate through the obstacles that stand in the way of a borrower getting funds to either complete a project, to sell a property or to tweak it. And uh, congratulations, by the way, on being nominated and actually being a finalist at the British Specialist Lending Awards. Thank you very much. It's, it's funny, that's the first time we've ever put ourselves up for an individual award and we're not an individual based company Mm -hmm. we've always been more about the team and even though I am up I I genuinely feel that that's a team award you know I would never have been nominated I would never have been shortlisted if it wasn't for that engine room behind me and that engine room is everybody in our business from our specialist finance team to the credit team to the sales team to everybody we're we're a unit we operate as a whole Um, so although it's my name in lights I genuinely believe it should be Octane Capitals you put a post recently on LinkedIn um, about completions it always seems the way in the industry that first few weeks of the month are quiet and then suddenly there's a huge rush at the end of the month or the end of the quarter did you get any interesting insights on that so that's funny I, I think I think everybody knows what it is and and they just don't want to say it and it is brokers with targets it's lenders with targets it's clients who have who set realistic unrealistic deadlines of okay it's got to happen by the end of the month but if that is the case, I don't understand why everybody leaves all those last bits to the last minute. I mean, if I tell you the number of undertakings in on Monday of this week, which said, can we please complete on Friday? And it's like, you already were banking up, you know, 10 to 15 deals to complete in the week. And then all of a sudden you got five to 10 more, which become urgent. And then you're not rushing around like headless chickens because you've got nine credit managers <laughs> all working through pipelines trying to be as proactive as possible while then having to be reactive to these new ones. And it's the same every month. And I just don't understand. I mean, if we had months that started from the 15th till the 15th, it'd be amazing. I genuinely would, because then you could structure them and stagger them and and everything else. And with all the will in the world and all the best planning in the world, there's nothing you can do about it. It, It's been like that in the 15 odd years that I've been doing it. And I think it'll be for the next 15 years moving forward as well. So uh, I think it's down to targets. I think it's down to seasonality as well, because mm-hmm. there's certain seasons where you see increased uh, activity as well. But uh, I wish I had a magic ball to, <laughs> to tweak when completions happen. As long as they happen, I'm happy. Yeah, one of the many peculiarities of the specialist exactly finance market. Right. Exactly <laughs> right. I don't think it's just specialist finance. I think it's finance as a whole. I think people just for some reason complete towards the end of a month or the end of a quarter. I, I can't explain it. 
Um, so looking at the, the short and medium term market, that puts you in a relatively unique position, I suppose. So yeah. what kind of trends are you seeing at the moment from, from a business point of view? Um, there's a number of, of trends that I think we're spotting. The two key trends, I would say. Number one, developers aren't selling units when they thought, think they were going to. Mm-hmm. And developments are taking too long. So we're seeing a lot, and it's one of the reasons why our developer exit um, proposition has been so successful. A, a developer will go and they'll, they'll buy a piece of land, they'll get planning on it, they'll then go and construct a number of units, and with all the best will in the world, they'll think they can do it in nine months or 12 months with another three to six month sales cycle. But then you have bad weather, or you have a delay in planning, or you have a delay in procuration, or you have something that goes wrong within the development, or just something that gets delayed. And then all of a sudden, you get to the end of your agreed term with your development lender, and the screws start getting tightened, and your loan-to-value starts increasing, and the pressure starts coming on board. And we have a very unique solution for developers, where we can step in almost at practical completion or at practical completion to give that developer multiple options. Number one, we can give them the option that if they want to hold some of the units and let them, they can do so while trying to maybe sell some of the others. We can give them time to market and sell the properties on their deadline to their timescale rather than a development lender who just wants to get their money back at the quickest point of time or any combination of, of, of the two above. So we're happy to put it on our long-term uh, not, you know, buy-to-let proposition. Whatever works for the borrower, um, we'll try and, try and work with them. More importantly, when they are selling, we cash flow the transaction to allow the borrower the maximum leverage out the door day one. So it's a pretty unique proposition in yeah. what do most developers want and what, are they, what do most of them lack? They lack cash flow. And if you've got experienced house builders, like the small to medium house builders, they've typically got a couple of schemes on the go at any point in time. Mm-hmm. The holy grail for them is to be able to take some money off the table before all their units have sold. If we can see sales traction and we can see evidence that the, the, the units are liquid, we're very happy to allow them some of their profit out the door day one. Very unique in this space. And we've, there's a reason why we've done over 100 million in the last 12 months in this alone it's because of how we structure it it's because of how we allow them the capability to market to their time frame or or indeed to uh, to let the properties and generate some cash to hold them for a couple of years while the market turns so that's the first trend properties aren't selling quick enough or they aren't being developed to the time frame that they thought yeah the second key thing is in buy to let um, with yields decreasing um, and a lot of the, the low-hanging fruit, as Jonathan, uh, my partner and CEO, called it when we were presenting over the, uh, over the past couple of months at the Specialist Lending Roadshow, a lot of people have already put, with the tax changes that came into place, have put people on five-year fixes. There's not as many transactions happening in terms of purchases in the buy-to-let space because the accidental landlord is being priced out the game, yep. yields aren't high enough, and tax benefits aren't there. The guys that were there and are experienced players and who want to stay on have already taken five-year fixes. So the number of buy-to-let transactions, I feel, is going to fall. And it's going to continue to fall because of all these five-year fixes. Yes, in three years and four years, they're going to come back because those five-year fixes are going to come up for renewal. But a a lot of that low-hanging fruit with the buy-to-let changes, tax changes, and and, um, the uh, stress-testing changes have already been implemented. So for brokers who focus purely on buy-to-let... They may have to explore other avenues. Mm -hmm. And for people with properties that aren't yielding high enough with stress testing uh, changes, 
they have to look at that next layer on. And that's where we try and step into it. We're not trying to compete with your specialist buy-to-let lenders. We're not trying to compete with the high street. We're trying to fill the void that exists between them and your ancillary lenders all the way on the other side. Excellent. So if you were a broker at the moment, then where would you be particularly focusing? On third generation. <laughs> uh, no, on a, on a serious note, I, I, I would be looking for for the areas and the trends specifically that I've spoken about, but also on auction purchases. Okay. I've seen more and more properties going into auction, more and more landlords that are saying, you know what, this doesn't work for me anymore, and I'm going to put it, put the properties back out into the marketplace. So there are a number of people, I mean, auction houses are hotter than ever. So I would be focusing on the short-term space in the auction rooms, mm-hmm. on the buy-to-let space, on low-yielding, on providing solutions for the low-yielding residential properties or for the foreign nationals that are now coming in because the pound is dropping and with Brexit, I haven't used that word yet well, in our discussions today, but with Brexit and with the potential pound decreasing, it's going to create a huge opportunity for foreign nationals. What you want to do as a broker is have a solution for when you have a foreign national come across your desk with a buy-to-let investment property because all of a sudden what may not have been an attractive investment for them when it's £1.30, £1.40 to the dollar at £1.10, £1.20, £1.25 even becomes a very, very viable investment because all of a sudden you've got that um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the exchange rate benefit to them where you've got an increase in value almost overnight just from the pound tanking so there will be more and more foreign nationals coming in Um, you will need an alternative solution for your higher rate taxpayers who can't get the leverage they require and we use an example in every presentation we do with the borrower buying a property looking for the highest maximum leverage going to their broker their broker says the maximum I can get you despite the 75-80% product sheets that I've got is 50-53% and then they, the client typically says, well, what's my next bet? My next bet is a, an alternative ancillary lender like ourselves who's happy to take a different view and can lend based on 100% cover at a, at a lower pay rate and try and make the deal work. So it's not always about price. No. You, know, you, you need to have in your locker tools for your short-term investor, tools for your buy-to-let landlords that aren't fitting the high street, tools for your foreign nationals, and tools for your developers who aren't shifting stock. We're seeing that the same way from, from Crystal. We're seeing brokers diversifying a lot more. Brokers that would traditionally just churn and burn vanilla buy-to-lets are now suddenly contacting us because they've got the overseas borrower or they've got the new build-off-plan property they're looking to purchase. So, yeah, would certainly second that. Brokers are now looking for ways to say yes rather than I'm too busy, I can't deal with it. Correct. And I, I think Correct. that will just continue as, as we get but through I, the rest of the year. I also think it's easier than ever with the specialist distributors that are there today, for a broker who in the past just thought, I can't do this. But even if they don't have the expertise themselves, they've got the likes of Crystal, who they can pass it across to. They've got the likes of these expert master brokers or packages that are able to provide the level of experience and quality and underwriting and conversion ratios to help them get something out of nothing. You mentioned the specialist lending roadshows and, and equivalents earlier. I think they're invaluable to brokers just for us to get the word out there. Agreed. Brokers need to have that education. They need to be able to spot the opportunities. Um, neither of us market direct to consumers. So for us, it's about educating that broker that we're here, that we can help and that there are solutions. Correct. Uh, we completely agree with that. Um, same as you, we don't market directly to consumer. It's all about intermediaries. It's all about ensuring they know that we're very happy to hold their hand and, and, and work together to get an amicable solution. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you've been in the game, was it 15 years? About that, yeah. Yeah. So what, For what's, my the, sins. 
<laughs> what still gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I just love what I do. I love the fact that I've got the most amazing. I mean, the most amazing team. Uh, I love working with mates. Uh, most of my brokers that I deal with become friends. Um, I think if I ever woke up and, and had that, oh my god, that Monday morning feeling, uh, I don't think I'd do it anymore. Um, but I genuinely, I, I haven't had that for years. I, I love the fact that I'm in such an open, flat environment, such a flat structure within Octane as well. Um, people push us every day. Our, our team push us every day. There's no such thing as a, we do it this way because that's the way we do it. We always push our guys to say, if there's a better way, tell us and let's change and let's evolve with it. And you know, We're always looking for, looking to be innovative and unique and you know, be it in just the way we have fun with our football tournament, the way we treat our brokers, the way we treat our clients. We're in this for the long haul. You know, we built a great business before and we want to do that even better this time. Excellent. And then finally, our traditional closing question. If you could make one change to the industry, what would you like to do and why? If I could make one change, wow. Um, that's a really difficult question uh, because I actually love the industry we're in. Um, I think the change I would make would be how lenders treat clients when loans are approaching uh, the end of the term. Uh, there's too many people in our space, and it's been a bugbear of mine for many, many years now, that you know, a loan gets close to, to the end of the term. There's no communication whatsoever with the lender and the borrower, the lender and the broker. The loan hits that term end date, and the, and the lender rubs their hands together in glee and goes, happy days, I'm now going to charge a 5% fee or a 3% fee, and I'm going to put them in default interest, and I'm now going to make my profits. Mm. We've never done that, um, and we never will. We will always work with the broker, and the client to get the best possible solution and and work together it you know charging somebody silly extension fees and default interest just to boost your bottom line is opportunistic and i think a lot of the people who do do that brokers will eventually get fed up of it or that i don't see it happening because we know of it happening and people keep going back um our view is we work together we work with an amicable solution. We try our best to get that client out within the term. If not, we have sensible conversations, but not the day before the loan is going beyond term. We start talking three months before, then six weeks, then four weeks. And ultimately, you work together to get the best possible outcome. So what would I change? I would change some of the processes at the back end. So we're seeing a lot more interest in the heavy refurb um, side of things. Where do you sit on that? Well, we love refurbs. Um, and a lot of investors are, are turning to refurbs now to make deals work. So what do I mean by that? Uh, we've seen a huge uptick in existing landlords who've owned properties for years, been let out, no issues, fairly, fairly low leverage, that now it doesn't work. Why? Because of the tax changes I mentioned before. Yeah. So what do people like that do? They approach us and they say, I've now got planning to convert this four-bedroom house into a six-bedroom HMO or this five-bedroom house into four flats. And we love those deals. And why do we love them? Because the way we structure them, whether it's light refurb, heavy refurb, it's just a refurb, it's a conversion, whatever it might be, we, we provide up to 70% of the initial value of the property, 99 times out of 100 for an existing landlord that repays the existing debt and provides the first tranche of works to start the refurbishment. We then fund the balance of the works up to 100% in arrears and then at the end of the refurbishment can automatically flip it onto the balance of a, onto a buy-to-let or indeed they can go to your specialist lenders like Precise and Interbay and whoever else um, and, and take us out with a normal buy-to-let mortgage. 
we're seeing a lot more of these conversions from house into flats, so house, house into HMO, <laughs> to try and go with the flow. Yeah. Tax changes, everything else, this gives them that second, uh, second go. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, it's about finding the right outcome absolutely for the right. Product. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I'm sure there's a lot of valuable insight there for the brokers that are listening. So thank you very Th- much. Thank you very much for having me. To hear the rest of the series and be notified first of future episodes, hit subscribe. And to discuss any of the topics covered in today's Crystalcast or any other specialist finance requirements, call us on 01827 301070 or visit our website at www.crystalsf.com. Thank you to today's guests and as always, thank you for listening.